When your desire to solve a significant challenge in your industry stops your cycling adventure across North America in its tracks, you really know you're onto something. Sophie Walker and her fiancé are on a mission to tackle one of the biggest problems we're facing right now when it comes to managing our waste and recycling, and really dedicated to creating a positive difference in the world. Sophie shares her story around how Disposal was founded, some of the lessons learned in getting started, and why it's not all sunshine and roses, as some of the podcasts out there might tell you. She also shares some of the triumphs and successes, and the real reasons behind her drive and determination to make this a success. My name is Charlie Wyman, and I'm the host of the Curiosity Key podcast, where I interview other curious thinking advocates that believe that curiosity really is one of our biggest assets and can be used as a huge force for good and strategy for successful business and marketing. There's loads of inspiration, guidance, and advice in this episode, so be sure to take notes, or if you're on the move, check out the show notes on my website. Just visit charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. Let's get stuck in. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Key podcast. I'm joined with the amazing Sophie Walker from Disposal. Welcome Sophie, thank you so much for joining me. Oh thank you so much for having me Charlie, I'm really excited to be here. Brilliant. So I um, have just had to refrain from um, talking to, talking about your company name in a way. <laughs> it's always one of those things, isn't it? When you just say, right, okay, how do you pronounce this to make sure that I'm not doing any errors? And you say, don't do this. And then that's all you can think about. <laughs> well, you nailed it. You said it exactly right. So. Disposal. Well, it's brilliant to have you on the podcast because I know that you are in the very sort of niche industry of waste technology. And one of my earlier podcast guests, Michael Groves of Top politics um, is somebody that's also known to you. And um, before we get started, I'm just keen to, to tell our listeners who you are and um, just tell us a little bit about Disposal as well. Sure. So yes, yeah, so I'm Sophie. Um, I'm the COO and co-founder of Disposal, um, along with my um, fiance and co-founder Tom. Um, and really, it, it was his idea. Um, he used to work in the waste industry um, and then we both quit our jobs and went cycle touring around North America for like nine months and I was loving the scenery and enjoying pedaling and could have done it for years I think um, uh, and Tom spent the whole time missing working in an office and uh, and trying to solve the problems of his previous job um, and kind of came up with the idea for disposal as a sort of initial concept at that point and then when we came home, we we asked people that he'd worked with whether they thought it was a good idea. And everyone said, oh, yeah, no, it's a great idea, but it exists already. So Tom was like, oh, fantastic. I just want to go and work for those people. That sounds like my dream job. So we spent ages trying to find it and we couldn't find it. And so then we went back to those people who said it was a good idea and said, well, you know, if it if it doesn't exist should it exist? And and everyone went, oh yeah, you should totally do that. And so despite neither of us ever having any desire to start a business or, you know, be entrepreneurial, um, we set about figuring out how to do that. And so um, that's, that's when I sort of came on board. That was in, when was that? Early 2017. Um, and we started figuring out I mean, we set the company up in 2016 in a kind of initial version, but as most of these things happen, you kind of go slightly down the wrong route and then go, oh no, that doesn't quite work. And I wouldn't say it was a pivot exactly, but a kind of slight change of direction. Um, and then, yeah, I came on board early 2017 and then we 
quit our jobs again in the summer of 2017. It's almost the anniversary and um, and went full time. And um, yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, if I'm honest, but um, super interesting and exciting and really hard work. But um, yeah. What a great so, story. <laughs> I haven't told you what we do yet. But yeah. <laughs> no, but it's so, like you don't usually hear anybody talk about going cycling around America desperate <laughs> to get back to the office job. So it's quite, it's so it must weird. be a really big problem. So I'm keen to know what was that problem that he uh, he was desperate to solve? So, yeah, so he, he spent about six or seven years, I think it was, in the industry. He'd done a couple of years um, with local authorities doing sort of door knocking, going and speaking to, you know, householders about improving their recycling rates or implementing uh, like food waste recycling um, systems and then uh, he moved from that to um, a hazardous waste company in Sheffield and assumed that all of the information that he'd had at his kind of disposal when he was doing the household waste job would be even more sort of available for hazardous waste because it's even more regulated and scary and horrible stuff right but when he started looking into it, he realised that actually there was not very much information available. And what there was was pretty impenetrable and hard to kind of understand. And and he had tons of, like he was a sales coordinator and he had loads of customers basically asking him for loads of advice, ringing up in a panic because they were being audited, getting stressed out because, you know, they didn't have the right documentation or they weren't sure what waste code to use for their waste. Um, and then as a sales coordinator, he was just trying to figure out how to how to streamline and make efficient the work that he was doing. You know, he spent a huge amount of time literally emailing out these documents to the customers while they were stressing out at him because he hadn't sent them already or whatever. Um, and he's an organized person and he thought, OK, we'll put them all on the website that, you know, then people can access them whenever. But they didn't run their website. <clears throat> and so things would invariably go out of date and it would take them time to get them uploaded. And it was a, you know, it was a pain. And so that didn't really work. And he would set loads of notifications because different things would expire at different points, but keeping on top of that was really difficult. And so then you'd have members of staff's training run out for certain things and then they'd be out of action for days instead of just half a day of refresher training and all of this sort of stuff. And so while we were peddling, he was just thinking basically, how do we do this in a more efficient way, in a way that isn't everyone having to do this work over and over and over again? And you kind of create a hub. And so the idea of disposal is this, it, it's a hub that connects waste producers and waste companies where that compliance information is in this central repository that is accessible by everybody along the waste supply chain. And that you can then easily keep on top of that compliance, which is otherwise like a super manual really quite boring and you know not fruitful task like it doesn't add anything to your bottom line but there's an enormous amount of box checking that needs to be done if you're going to actually take your compliance for your waste seriously and so the idea is to just streamline all of that so we've built a load of automated notifications so that when the when the documents are coming up to expiry you're notified in advance so you can kind of keep on top of that um, you can quickly see whether anyone that you're using has um has let things drop and so you know you get a quick color code of kind of red like don't use these people danger sort of thing their insurance is expired or stuff like that um and then we've built a whole load of tools around that to just to just try and make dealing with waste easier because waste is something that literally every single one of us deals with 
And yet, like almost nobody understands it. Nobody knows what they're supposed to do. Nobody knows if they're doing it properly. Most people just rely on their waste contractor. And frankly, you only have to look at the headlines to realize that there are lots of people not doing things um, as they should. And so we we think it's important to kind of bring a bit of transparency to the industry and make it easy for anyone to be able to kind of go, oh, actually, I know what happens to my waste and I feel comfortable with that and potentially make different decisions around it, which hopefully in the long run will make make those wastes into resources and enable us to become a sort of more resource efficient economy and society. That would be amazing. And I totally relate to what you say is about nobody's got any idea what they're doing because every single council seems to have a different approach to managing waste in terms of what you can put in your recycling bin, uh, what's considered to be contaminated waste and what's not. So there is a lot of... um, a lot of things that people don't understand. Also, it's one of those that not many people actually talk about, do they? Yeah, well, it's, it is interesting because it's one of these things where actually I have to say, I'm new to the industry. I used to work in uh, like food supply chain. So, um, so it's not like I'm a kind of lifelong waster, but since being in the industry, I found that actually when you talk to people about it, as long as you don't utter the words waste compliance, which just mean people glaze over and run away. Um, <clears throat> If you talk to people about waste or rubbish or recycling, everyone gets dead hair up about it, actually. You know, everyone's got something of it like, oh, I don't know why my council doesn't take X or, oh, when I go to visit my mum, they've got this and it's brilliant, but they don't have that in my, where I live. Or, you know, everybody's got something. Or like people, I've even had people like confess about being done for fly tipping, which they'd done totally unwittingly. Like, so not what they thought they'd, they'd moved out of a house. They had a load of stuff. They'd intended to take it to the tip. The tip was closed. So they had all these bags of stuff. So they just drove around and carefully left one bag next to each litter bin that they found, thinking that they were being responsible. But they had identifiable information in it. The council found it, found them, and fined them for fly tipping. Oh, <laughs> like, so it's, it's inter- you know, and like, again, that's another example of somebody thinking that they're doing the right thing, and clearly not. Um, and so you're right, there's, there's a total lack of consistency in terms of household waste and what, what we're expected to do. But then there's an inconsistency between that and what we do at work. And then there's an inconsistency between that and when we go and visit people at other, you know, other places or when we're, when we're out and about in terms of recycling on the go. And so it's a really confused picture. And it does mean that people just don't really know. And then you've got all of the stories that you get like, you know, oh, is all of our stuff just getting sent to Malaysia and dumped in a forest anyway? So what's the point? And so it's, there's just so much misinformation and there's so much confusion. And I just think that all of that basically has led to what, you know, we have, I was going to say stagnating recycling rates, but actually I think they've declined slightly. Um, And so because I think people just get sort of apathetic about it and think well what's the point I don't I don't understand what's going on I don't know how to do the right thing and I don't even know whether if I do the right thing it ends up where it should so I'm just yeah and you get in that like why bother I'm unfortunately I'm battling with certain people that I know that are like yeah well what's the point it's you know not not being recycled anyway so why even bother and you're like oh no (laughs) that's not the right attitude (laughs) yeah no exactly so so tell me a bit about um, no experience in business, no <laughs> intention to be in business, yet you have this this tech 
business. How how did you get involved in that? And what was your process, if you like? Um, so, I mean, this sounds like a joke, but honestly, we listen to the startup podcast. <laughs> I love it. All right, cool. We get this. We know how to build a company from scratch. Um, uh, well, yeah, so we listened to that. We listened to loads of podcasts in the early days, you know, all of those sort of ones around having a super duper tech companies. Um, and actually, in lots of ways, I've kind of moved away from them. I think just we've evolved in our thinking and how we want to do stuff and and actually we're not in this to like to be a typical startup we don't want to grow the company really big and exit that's not what we're interested in like we care about this deeply and we want to make a difference and you know Tom says that he imagines retiring from this company in years and years I'd like to retire early and go paddling again but still not anytime soon so I mean, yeah, I mean, basically, we just listened to a lot of stuff. We talked to tons of people. We openly admitted we had no idea what we were doing and would accept advice from anyone that would give it to us, essentially. And then over time, you kind of start to, I think, having to be slightly more, um, you have to filter it a little bit. You know, you kind of have to start going, actually, I'm not sure that's as good advice. And I'm going to, you know, be polite and say, thanks very much. Not, not actually do it and then you kind of gravitate towards the people that give you good advice and that have been supportive and you know and you kind of latch onto them and keep them around so I think that was probably the the, the most useful thing early on was just gathering as much information as possible and growing our network and just talking to people and admitting we didn't know what we were doing because I think when you kind of I think that came out of the cycle touring actually because the thing about cycle touring is you put yourself out there and you're vulnerable, right? You're on your bike. You've got everything with you. You know, it's totally self-supported, just the two of us. And we would end up in all sorts of odd places and people would come to us and be like, Oh my gosh, where have you come from? Where are you going? Do you want to come and stay at my house and I'll feed you? And we'd say yes. And it was great. And, and I think if you put yourself out there and you kind of admit to being you know a bit vulnerable and not knowing everything I think mostly people actually want to help you and and that for me was probably the biggest surprise around business I always you know you see things like the apprentice or whatever and it just seems like such a bunch of terrible people to not swear <laughs> and I I just thought business was full of like backstabbing greasy money grabbing awful people and actually in in this journey what I've realized is no it's full of all lovely normal people that inhabit every other part of the world as well and of course there are some awful people in it but mostly it's nice people trying to get on with their lives and happy to help each other out and be be nice and supportive and so so yeah that's been a real surprise and has been a real um I think like encouragement you know like it if it had been all backstabby and awful I think we would have just probably run away <laughs> but um <laughs> got gone cycling again well maybe yeah <laughs> Tom's still not really up for more pedaling but I'm definitely for it <laughs> um but yeah I think it also I mean I the, the fact that we quit our jobs and went cycle touring and then um just before we did the went full-time on the business we went sea kayaking touring around northern Norway with no experience for like three weeks and I mean that was 
we nearly died repeatedly. That wasn't something I would recommend. But um, but I think it kind of goes to show that um, we are um, fairly, I am a fairly, uh, I have a high risk appetite um, and I'm up for sort of jumping in with both feet in the deep end. But I think that part of that, the reason we're we're in a really privileged position to be able to do that, we we when we went full time on the business, we moved in with my auntie and uncle um, because we can pay the minimal rent, and I know they won't kick us out, and we won't end up homeless if the business all fails. Um, you know, we don't we don't have any kind of normal overheads that people have in terms of mortgages and stuff. We we don't have kids, we don't have pets, so we're able to devote our time to it and. I, you know, I think we're in an incredibly privileged position to be able to do that. So we're lucky, really. I mean, we work really hard, but we're lucky with it. Yeah. You've made a lot of sacrifices as well, you know, especially if you want to kind of travel the world and, um, you know, cycle around everywhere. <laughs> I can definitely relate to wanting to do something like that <laughs> and and having a partner that doesn't quite share your enthusiasm for these things. <laughs> um, yeah, I um we did Everest Base Camp a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. And that was the first trip that my other half had ever done. Um, he was not, he didn't like traveling. He didn't like, he wasn't really a big hiker. didn't like any of that stuff. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go and do that. Uh, we can delay the wedding and do all of this stuff. And he was just like, okay. Can I come? Wow. But what you're saying is, it's all the characteristics of entrepreneurs. You know, you're, you know, you've got grit, you've got determination, you're very resilient. And uh, yeah, like you just said, a high appetite for risk (laughs) and also willing to put yourself out there, which I think a lot of people are afraid of doing. So I hope for people listening to this, thinking you've got to go alone, you can't accept help from anybody else, or you don't want to go and ask for help, then, you know, the more you can get used to asking for help, the more you will realize that there are people out there that are willing to help you. And that have a lot of really good advice to share. Definitely. And I think also that, I mean, this is one of the lessons we learned on the cycle tour was that if someone offers you help, you know, accept it. If you want it, accept it like they're not offering to be nice like take them at their word and trust that if they're offering it they they mean it and so and I think you know it's quite a British trait to sort of you know someone says oh do you need help with that I could do blah 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 and you're like oh no don't worry I'm fine when really you're drowning and desperately need help so I would say you know it is uncomfortable to start with but you get used to it and actually you know people want to help and I think they get stuff out of it too and so yeah I would say definitely just ask for help and then accept help that is offered if it's help that's useful to you um yeah so I I am keen to know because I I love what you were saying that you just sort of poured into all the podcasts out there about get you know starting a a tech company and doing all these things how is the reality of starting a tech company different to what the podcasts were telling you oh god like so different I mean some (laughs) of them kind of explained some of the ups and downs of it right and and I think that was one of the things that I liked about the first series of startup was that there were those really candid conversations about equity and stuff between um, Alex and Matt, like the, you know, the founders or whatever. And, and I thought those sorts of things were really, they were illuminating to, to us in terms of thinking, yeah, these are difficult conversations that may come up. And I mean, Tom and I are lucky that we do have separate shares or equity in the business, but like, I mean, we, we're we're essentially almost a single entity so it's not it's not super difficult in that sense but I think that it's for me as I was saying like that the journey that a lot of those startups are on is about 
it's this it's become this new kind of dream right it's almost like the kind of the fame dream of like oh i'm going to start a tech company and it's going to be massive and i'm going to sell it to google and then i'm going to retire with millions of quid in the bank um and and you know and clearly there are a few examples that that is what happens and if that's what you're going for then you know good luck to you if that's what your dream is but i think for us like i said it's just the more I listened to those things, it just became really clear that like our ambitions for the business and that kind of tech startup path were not the same thing at all. Um, and, and so I think it, yeah, it feels to me, it feels really different when it's something that it genuinely is mission driven and values driven. And it's not, those aren't marketing things for us. They're not something that we've done because it's, it will mean that we get, you know, to tick a box somewhere or someone wants to work with us because it meets their CSR requirement or something like it's what actually matters to us. And I think that that for us has meant that sometimes business wise, commercial kind of business wise, we've not I don't think we've accelerated at the same pace that we might have done if we'd been completely focused on profit um or on growing the business like we've taken a slightly more meandering route and we've kind of um we've we've I mean basically we're really just trying to solve the problem and some of the stuff that we're trying to do is really so beyond the the kind of the remit of a tiny startup I mean some of the stuff we're trying to do is literally alter the the kind of infrastructure of how we manage waste data for the whole country and potentially globally right as in these are big should be kind of government projects and I think it it's sort of weird that we're in that sphere and trying to make a difference with that but and it's not very profitable it certainly seems to me but I, I think it's so important um, because actually there's not that many people thinking about it as hard as we are, it seems like, and there's not that many people who care about it as much as we do. And so why shouldn't it be us? It, you know, if we care about it as much as we do and we want to really fix the problem, why don't, why shouldn't it be us that, that works on it? So, um, and that just isn't the sort of story that you seem to see in a lot of the, the kind of the startup stories, you know, it's, it's always just about hustling really hard, (laughs) making the sales. And I don't know, I think that stuff is clearly important in terms of uh, being financially viable for any length of time, but it's almost like it's just the means to the end for us, I think. Um, It's it's interesting that you do say that because I think I was having a few conversations recently about how um, purpose-driven, mission-driven companies, especially through the whole COVID-19 situation, appear to have a much more positive, opportunistic mindset going through it than companies that are just driven by profit because they're willing to just sort of say, right, okay, well, here's the problem that we're trying to solve. We've got this limitation, you know, we can't do this, this and this, but how else can we try and solve this problem with 
what we have available. And just from looking at the the mission-driven businesses and the purpose-driven businesses talking on social media, putting themselves out there, it's been really lovely to see uh, because everybody that I have on my podcast is all driven by purpose or driven by mission. And it's, you know, we need more people like you in the world and we need more people that are looking to solve those big problems and looking to, you know, make, make the world a better place. So it's um it's great to hear you say that and it yeah I don't think it's all about hustle and grind and I think I don't know I seem to think that a lot more people are talking about the fact that that isn't the way to do it <laughs> you know there there are other ways of doing it you know you, you, there's sacrifice and then there is sacrifice and it's understanding what what's going to work for you um so I'm glad that you said that that's really uh it's really nice to know but also for anybody listening to this and not watching the video it's like you know sort of Sophie's like just got so enthusiastic when she's talking about the problems that she's solving it's just really that's why I love doing this because it's so great to to speak to people that are just doing what what drives them and you know sort of solving these problems that nobody else is necessarily looking at yeah, I mean, I think for for us, I mean, clearly in some ways we are really weird, but like we we're not driven by the money. Like, I mean, if I was, I would have just stayed in my old job. I've I earn hardly anything at the moment, um, and and that you know that's okay for me because I don't have very many outgoings and I'm not that bothered about it. But I think you know the thing that gets me out of bed in the morning is the fact that this matters. Like, we have a global waste crisis like and we are frittering away these finite resources in the most spectacular fashion and I just I I, I, like no amount of salary I don't think would equate to actually you know feeling like I'm doing something that might help solve that problem and clearly we're not going to solve it on our own it's an incredibly interconnected huge you know wicked problem but but it feels really exciting to play a part of that. And I, and I want to play a part in that. And I want to, I want to put my effort and my, you know, my time into doing something that matters. And so it, yeah, I think that that's, it's a much bigger motivator than just clearly salary, at least it is for me and for Tom. So. Brilliant. And so, so tell me a little bit, cause you, you touched on it before that you set out on this journey to solve this problem, but then you, change direction so you said it wasn't necessarily a pivot but it was a change of direction can you tell me a little bit more about that yeah sure so so initially when Tom started thinking about what he wanted to do what what's interesting to me is Tom's vision for what he wanted disposal to be hasn't changed it's what we've done is if you like we've kind of tacked with the wind in terms of the approach of getting here because the waste industry is so behind in terms of software development stuff right I mean it is I think the term is digitally immature um and and so you can't just rock up and go hey we've got this amazing blockchain AI blah 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 because they just have no idea what you're talking about they just, some people still Tom used to work with someone who still did everything on a typewriter they paid wow. a full-time typist like I mean it's mind-blowing right so you 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 can't just go from where we are to that you need a journey right you need to bring and you need to bring all of those companies along however small they are and so essentially what we've done is we've tried to find the 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 paving stones to make that path along the way so the first thing that Tom's idea was was that just when we came back from cycling um 
the Environment Agency, the regulator, changed the way that hazardous waste uh, consignment note codes were created. So previously you had to register with the agency and they gave you a number. And then it was like, oh, no, you create it yourself, but it has to be unique and it has to follow this pattern, which means it on it's a, it was a bad idea. But what we the initial thing that we built was basically a very simple but a consignment note code creator that meant that at least in your company you could create unique codes that that meant that you were meeting the the requirements of the environment agency and so that was the first thing that we built because it was like there's a problem that's just happened in legislation no one really knows how to deal with it and we can build a very basic piece of tech that can meet that requirement and we sort of took that around to people and a few people were sort of interested and used it a little bit but it was it's like it was too small it was just a tiny piece of the problem and so so it just kind of didn't really go anywhere and then and then Tom was wanting to build the directory of the licensed waste companies and so he did like a freedom of information request to the environment agency for like all of the licensed waste companies in the country and they said no we're not sending you that but you can use our API which we had no idea existed but it's way better than a single data dump from them. And so we went and we found the API and it was brilliant. And then we basically made contact with the data people at the Environment Agency and we've been kind of friendly with them ever since. We're one of the, I think, one of the only people that still uses the that API. We were the first people to use it. And, um, and so we built this directory. And again, the thing about the directory is, is that a directory needs a ton of traffic for people to kind of feel like it's worth investing their time or effort in. Right. And so that's really hard to do when you've literally just launched. We launched in March, 2018 with the directory and, you know, we'd get dead excited if we had like a few hundred users in the month. And, and now because of we've built it well with SEO time has kind of gone on. And with, with the stuff with COVID, with the household waste recycling centres closing and opening and people not knowing what's going on, our our traffic has gone like through the roof. So we have over, we had over 20,000 visitors um, last month. So it it's grown a lot. <laughs> um, and I think that we, I mean, we're possibly one of the most visited like waste specific sites in the country, um, which is sort of weird. But, but again, the directory still is not something that is, hugely kind of profit generating because until you can kind of show that there's a load of business coming through it the people listing in it don't want to pay you for it and so so although that initially we were thinking that people would kind of pay to have a listing that didn't really work out and so then we sort of started building out the kind of the compliance tools which were always going to be part of the product but we kind of we saw it as the next next paving stone if you like and so when we started building those out, we sort of started getting a bit more interest from customers. And then in talking to those customers, we changed the way they worked a little bit and tweaked them for their needs. And and now I think those sort of compliance products that we've got, we've got like a semi-automated audit tool, um, like those notifications that I was telling you about. You basically follow the waste companies that you use so that, that they're like in your dashboard. Um and you can create a waste map and see where that where your waste goes and things like that. And those those tools have sort of seemed to be really resonate with people. And and we we brought on a commercial director um, at the end of last year, and that now seems to be kind of 
she's talking about it in a much better way than Tom Tom and I are not salespeople. That's another bit of advice I would say is like know what your strengths and weaknesses are and find people to plug the gaps. Um, so, so yeah, that seems to be working a lot better now. And I think, you know, one of our strengths is that we're a tech company and that means that we actually, we have a developer in-house. Some of the other, we've had a few competitors, sort of competitors spring up over the last couple of years since we launched and most of them don't have developers in-house and I just I don't know how they're gonna cope right because it's so expensive to keep going to a third party to update things and the thing about tech is it always needs updating it's never finished and so I think that's one of our real strengths we've got an amazing developer who is just great we got him straight out of university and he's just made disposal his own and like so I think yeah, so like I said, it's not that we've pivoted. It's it's essentially that we kind of have to figure out what the next step is that will bring people along and that people will be able to understand where we're going because it people outside of the industry just can't believe that this infrastructure doesn't exist digitally to do with waste. And then people in the industry don't understand how it might digitally exist because they're not kind of tech savvy. And so it's it's a really there's a lot of education to be done. That's a really big part of what we seem to be having to do. So we educate in terms of digital stuff. We educate in terms of waste compliance. We educate in terms of how to bring those two things together and, and how to how to build kind of the, the really basic foundations of allowing a whole industry to, to go through that kind of digital transformation. So it's, it's a lot of work for four people. <laughs> Yes, it is really difficult. I mean, I work with a lot of companies that they're trying to solve big problems, but the clients that have these problems aren't necessarily aware that they have these problems or it's not a big enough priority for them to fix it. So when you're in that situation, it does take a lot longer and there is a huge education piece around around it because you have to meet them where they're at. Otherwise, you're just going to come up to a lot of resistance and, and people are just going to be like, oh, who, who's that crazy person talking to me about this again? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and it's I think quite... that the, I was just going to say, sorry, on that, that it's you're so right. Like part of our issue is that in organisations, the people who who have the problem, people who manage waste compliance in the organisation that have somebody that does that, they're not the purse holders, purse string holders, whatever the phrase is. And so we convinced that every, literally every compliance person we've shown our tools to are like, oh my God, I love this. This is this makes my life so much easier. I, I love it. But then you go to the, you know, the finance director or whatever, and they're like, I don't really get it. And we've got you know Sharon or whoever who does it so what's the problem and it's like well Sharon's pulling her hair out and having a complete nightmare and you know ends up having to have interviews under caution with the environment agency which are really uncomfortable and not nice like uh, yeah but how much is it we don't have a budget for that because we've never bothered to spend any money on it and it's like yeah so for us trying to figure out how do we how do we frame it and how do we present it to a really broad group not only of different organizations and companies because everyone creates waste but within those organizations and companies all the different stakeholders that you have to then convince that what you've got is good and worth paying for it yeah it's it's hard 
So that's where I get a bit geeky because that's why I love the sort of B2B space more than the B2C space. Because I, I don't know, I always look at B2C and I'm just like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's like you're just trying to persuade somebody that they, they want something. Whereas B2B <laughs> is so much more interesting because I get a bit geeky about it because I'm like, right, okay, well, you've got the user over here and they've got these needs and desires. And then you've got the purse holder over here that they just don't care about what that person wants. They just care about this. So it's just like, how do you piece it all together and put the right messaging in the right, to, towards the right person? Because it is exactly that. It's like the people that are spending the budgets, allocating the budgets, they don't care about the day-to-day. And it's such a shame that something bad has to happen before people start to realise that actually these things do need to be prioritised. Because I'm working with a few people at the moment that are... um, kind of in the mental health space so especially with covid there's a huge amount of anxiety of people coming back to work and people are like well i'm so bogged down i need to make redundancies i need to do this this and this and it's like well if you don't do this this and this that you don't care about you could be sued or you know like members of your team could commit suicide like you know god forbid and you don't want that but people don't necessarily think about all of these things until it happens or it happens to somebody mm. that they know so it's like right okay how can you talk about it in a way um yeah I get quite geeky about all of this stuff <laughs> I love it um but we digress <laughs> <laughs> no no I mean they're interesting problems to solve right and I think again I'm so pleased to have like our commercial director on board now because her brain works much better like that and and that is really helpful for us because like I said Tom and I that's not our strong suit and so it's nice to have someone who kind of yeah, thinks about it in that way and wants to dive into it in the way that you clearly are passionate about doing. <laughs> yeah, you need to find people that get excited about this sort of challenge. <laughs> but just in the same way that we need people like you, like you and Tom that get passionate, you know, get excited about solving these problems, because I, I wouldn't even know where to start with things like that. Um, but it's such good advice that you do need to acknowledge where your strengths are and your limitations. Uh, I think too many people focus on weaknesses, but it's not a weakness if you've never done it before. <laughs> like, you know, you know, just just acknowledge that it's not your thing and get somebody else that where it is their thing. Definitely. Yeah, I think and and then value those people for for bringing something to the team that isn't, you know, what you're good at and try not to see it as a sort of um what's the right word like you know it's not a threat like it, you know you should employ people who are better than you if you can like, um, and not be threatened by that I think and and actually just celebrate the fact that there's other people who can pick up the balls that you are clearly dropping <laughs> so yeah definitely yeah. great advice there so you you talked a little bit about SEO and the fact that you went from a couple of hundred people to 20,000 people last month which is is huge do you have any advice that you want to share to anybody um watching this thinking oh I would love that many visitors to my website oh my god honestly I like so I'm not that person that's Tom and Tom seems to he's not done this sort of thing before but he seems to have been born with some sort of weird innate knowledge of how Google works which is brilliant for us Um, but I think probably in layman's terms the the biggest thing we've done is create useful content so we have a a waste thesaurus um, which is kind of what it sounds like so the the, um, when you classify waste which you have to do when it's taken away from a commercial business um property um you yeah you have to give it a a classification code a european waste catalog code number nobody really knows what they are and they're all written in kind of technical language so it wouldn't have anything you wouldn't be able to find you know like office waste or 
sofa or I don't know food waste or whatever in it and so what Tom's done is spent a lot of time putting keywords against those EWC codes so you can search for those items and you can find it will help you basically narrow down to the appropriate code that you need Um, and that's freely available we just put that on the website we've got information around whether the item's hazardous or not and and all of that kind of stuff is just there and that is until the whole household waste recycling center thing happened with covid the waste thesaurus was by far the most used um tool that we have built and and used by people all over the world like as in everywhere it's really bonkers especially considering it's european (laughs) i don't know why someone in venezuela or bangladesh or australia are looking at it but they are so you know happy days um and i don't think i don't think another one exists like it anywhere actually so i think again that's why it gets used a lot but i mean tom meticulously went through and did a whole load of you know like meta descriptions and tags and stuff which i do not understand at all i'm afraid but um i guess it it's it's just if that's something that's important to you create content that people will find useful and then make sure you do the tedious stuff of like tagging it so that google can read it and google can find it basically um because if you don't play that game then it doesn't matter how useful it is no one will find it so um that's really not super helpful advice, advice. <laughs> No, it is. It's really valuable advice. And I think a lot of people sometimes lose sight of that and think, well, okay, I just want to write content on my website of what I want people to know or what I'm interested in saying without necessarily considering, right, okay, who am I targeting and what are they interested in? What are they searching for? So write useful content, exactly what you were saying. That is what's going to make the biggest difference. And then, um, yeah, like you just said, add the, uh, the right tags and the right keywords where required. And there's a lot of information online about how to, how to do that. It just is quite a tedious task (laughs) yeah yeah um but if you can get into the habits of starting to do that as you get going then it just becomes a lot easier and just have it so you don't even think about it yeah definitely I think so and then you know monitoring it so you can see what's working and what's not and which you know which articles that you're writing or which pages that you've created actually you know get that traffic because it almost honestly we didn't do the waste thesaurus thinking it would be a huge driver of traffic we did it because it was something that tom used to spend a lot of time faffing around trying to find that information out so we're just like well we'll just build it and it'll be automatic you know it'll be automated and it'll help people but you know using google analytics and having a look at what people are looking at we just noticed that that was clearly the thing that's getting used the most and so we've continued to develop it we can you know and the more people use it the more we're able to learn what people are searching for and what people don't find answers for and you know we just kind of there's nothing clever about it in the sense that you know I'm sure other people might go oh machine learning blah blah blah. there's just not enough data for that yet so at the moment it's just Tom (laughs) (laughs) I love it yeah you make another good point as well it's like what are people searching for too Uh, because you can have as much useful content on your website as possible. But if nobody's searching for that particular type of content, then they're never going to find it um, and they're never going to sort of come across it. And even the best type of optimizing, you know, SEO on your website is not going to get people there. So yeah, you need to make sure that you are creating content around what people are searching for. So very good point there. Um, I realize as well, like we are like getting up to time now and I could talk to you for for ages about this because it's all very fascinating. But I just wanted to ask like, what is, what's the future for disposal? like what's what's coming up oh it's exciting so there's lots of good stuff happening for us at the moment um and I I think you know we're lucky that in a way um COVID-19 has 
has forced a lot of company I mean it's been bad for the waste industry in lots of ways and there are many businesses that are kind of hibernating waiting for industry to kind of come back and you know for our economy to sort of open up again but those that are still functioning I think have um have noticed that you know maybe software and digital things can be useful (laughs) um and so we're actually we're getting some more inquiries and people seem to be kind of more open to kind of digital solutions so that that's been really positive for us um and we're lucky that you know it's easy for us to work from home and that we can work remotely and that's not a problem so we've kind of weathered that bit fairly well and I'm I'm really pleased about that and then we've had a few really exciting projects kind of in the pipeline that look like they're going to kick off really soon um and that is, is great we're we're I mean, in some ways, people probably say that it's not good advice to kind of say yes to lots of things and open lots of doors. But I also find that as long as they are in some way aligned with what you're doing, it's allowed us, projects we've done before have allowed us to build new modules, have allowed us to kind of learn loads of new things. And so we're kind of always open to collaborating and and looking for ways to to do new interesting things with with interesting people. So that that's kind of, there's a lot of that stuff happening at the moment. And um and we've also we've just at the beginning of this year we founded a social enterprise because one business isn't enough hard work. So because um, we've realised that essentially because everybody creates waste, but you can't talk to everybody in the same way. So disposal is going to be our kind of B two B kind of very kind of compliance led uh, organisation, and then um, your disposal is our um, social enterprise, and it's going to be all around helping individuals and kind of micro businesses to deal with really basic waste stuff. So like, where's my household waste recycling center or what can I take to my tip or, you know, what should I do if I need to clear out my shed and I need to find an appropriate licensed, um, you know, waste service. So, uh, and and I think those sorts of issues are the same sorts of questions that tiny businesses ask as well, where they don't, they're not in a position to have like a kind of proper waste contract. And so again, it's like just guiding those people in a way that is just about giving really useful information. Um, And that, that social enterprise bit is where we see the kind of the data infrastructure building as well. So, because we don't think those sorts of assets should be owned by a private company that's driven by one day, hopefully making good profit. (laughs) Um, And that those should be held, you know, in trust for the, society and for the environment and so we're looking at building some um open data standards around waste um and around building kind of really just the fundamental foundations that we think are important for the industry to be able to digitalize and so that's gonna all of that sits under the your disposal bit as well so and and we've got some exciting projects happening for them as well so it's just i mean it's it just feels like a really a really good time for us it's been a lot of hard work over the last few months well years but I think I I think it's just that there's a real there's an opportunity right now where I think people have kind of opened their eyes to digitalization and and there's been enough kind of disruption in the industry that things have to change and, and and well not just in the industry right across society and I think people are looking at ways we can do things better and I think I hope that we can be part of that, like build it back better whole thing that's going on. So 
so yeah exciting times <laughs> wow you definitely have been busy and I can't wait to hear um about your progress and all the the amazing things that you're doing and, and will continue to do I'm sure thank you yeah fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> definitely no I have every confidence that you'll uh, you'll go on to do amazing things so if anybody um I, I'm sure we'll have lots of people listening to this that think all right I want to get involved you may find that people want to collaborate with you or help you in any way like what's the best way to to contact you and get in touch so we're pretty active on Twitter um so uh you can find us on there so I'm um at Sophie underscore coo um or at your disposal and disposal is without the i um so y-o-u-r-d-s-p-o-s-a-l um or you can email me um so it's sophie s-o-p-h-i-e at your disposal.uk fantastic yeah. so twitter or is our your website, platform of, of course <laughs> our website which is disposal.uk but yeah so. <laughs> i will be linking to all of these things in the show notes so don't awesome. worry about that um and i was very tempted to, to um say the the company name in the way that you told me not to <laughs> told you it was a bad idea never tell somebody that they can't say something because that's all you want to say <laughs> oh well it's been an absolute pleasure um having you on the podcast hopefully in the future we'll get you back on again and you can talk about more of the good stuff that you're working on and oh, thank i wish you, so you much. all the success for the future oh thank honestly thanks so much for having me on it's been really fun and i love talking rubbish <laughs> I love it. I love talking rubbish. Great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Cheers. Bye-bye. When marketing isn't your primary focus or area of expertise, it can quickly become very overwhelming, frustrating, and end up at the top of your I'm avoiding this list. If you'd like to make your life easier and get results from your marketing, then I invite you to come and join us in the Curious Marketing Club a virtual community full of support, guidance, and know-how. For details about the club and for the show notes from this episode, please visit my website, charliewyman.com. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn from other people who are being curious and doing amazing things, then please subscribe and keep listening. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.